Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. And I'm joined today, as always, by my friend and business partner, Mr. Jason Johnston Yellen. Hey, Jason. Hello, Joshua. How are you doing? You know, I'm tired. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, an uplifting way to begin things. (laughs) I am. I'm tired. Right. You've been busy. We're in the closing stages of the Whiskey Jubilee. Mm -hmm. So by the time this goes out, we'll be maybe a week away from the actual event. So yeah, there's a few late nights and a few early mornings. There's a lot of chasing up different folk. Yeah, we've we've talked about a whiskey jubilee event, you know, three hours or basically six months of work for three hours of an event. And as we get closer to each event, it it feels like there are far fewer hours in the day, given the amount of work that needs to be done as we near that. But do you know what I found? Yeah. All right, you found something. What you find? Give- Given the lives we lead, nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> you looked for sympathy and people were just... Nobody yeah. cares. No one cares. Nobody cares. Oh, you spent six months planning a whiskey festival. Right. <laughs> did you drink a lot of whiskey at that festival? Yes, yes, I did. Did people send you whiskey? Yes, yeah, yes, they did. Yeah. And you worked hard, did you? Yeah, I did. I don't care. Do you know I was in my office today from nine to five? Do you know my boss is totally nipping my head? And you know I don't care about your whiskey lifestyle. So, so are you basically saying I'm having a bit of a man cold about this? There's a touch of that, but but I'm not throwing you under the bus. We both have a man cold about this. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Oh, nobody understands. I had to send a whole bunch of emails. Oh, really? (laughs) Do you know there was a time when men had to go down the mines and actually cut coal out of rock faces? I know, but I'm so tired. (laughs) I'm so tired. (laughs) (sighs) Never mind. But you know what we're doing? I do. I do. This is is good. We've had this one in the can for a wee while now. The interview has been in the can. Oh, the interview's been in the can. Okay. Just to clarify. Yeah. The interview has been in the can for a while. Usually we don't have things in the can this long. But uh... (laughs) we spoke to this person a long time ago. So I I have to say this actually before we we jump on. We're starting to build listenership. Yeah. Really pretty exciting, right? We hear from folk. And episode eight with Denny Potter. Got a mm. lot of good positive feedback from people who said yeah. that was that was really interesting. You know, people have been very positive after everything. I think Denny yeah. just resonated. He was yeah. very honest, very upfront, very knowledgeable, and yeah, I, th- I think we certainly learned a lot. I mm-hmm. think some of our listeners learned a lot. Um, it inspired some people to suggest other. Um, areas of clarification in the whiskey industry as we go yeah. forward with the yeah. podcast mm-hmm. so yeah no it landed it landed great and i think given how well denny potter's episode was received i think today's with matt hoffman of westland distillery yeah will that's, also be very well received yeah. that that's a uh, one f two ends mm-hmm. for those keeping track at home only took me three years to get that right when emailing him. <laughs> but I have succeeded. 
So go me. Yeah. Um, so just quickly, very quickly. Mm-hmm. We uh, always say that and then it never is. Yeah, no, I know, I know, I know. Um, but back to the the good responses that we got back from from Denny's mm, yes, sir. interview. Uh, yes, yes. Thank you to everybody for sending us emails, sending us Facebook messages. Um, I know your your brother actually had some very nice things to say. He did. He did. He's, he's a tremendous lad. Absolutely no interest in whiskey at all. Listens yeah. to our podcast. He uh, he is Scottish. So he's not without his complaints. Um, <laughs> I mentioned them in a story a few episodes ago. The the one where I told the told the Glen Talker story. Oh yeah, yeah. And he says he was hanging on and hanging on, hanging on. I never did use his name. <laughs> he was only my brother. Oh man, what? You know what? Gonna, no, did, yeah, just, I think I'm going to leave it at that. Just leave it at that. <laughs> Take that, hey, Murray. Hey, oh, oh, I mean, uh, oh, 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 look what I did. <laughs> oh, that dumb American, that dumb uh, American. Can't um, take them anywhere. <laughs> but you know what I wanted to say was, um, so all of the comments were great. Um, appreciate everybody's feedback. We're still mm-hmm. asking people to head on over to iTunes, even if you don't subscribe to the podcast that way. Please. Say some nice things and give us five stars and all that if you if you enjoy it. it really, tell a friend if you like tell it. A tell a friend. Yep, yep. That's that's a, a great honor for us that you're you're spending your time with us and you say to somebody, "Hey, here's some guys you should spend your time with." And I, and I will say we did get a very nice uh, note and start to see this. Well, once we get to about the eight day mark, ten day mark, yes, we start to get messages from people who say, "Uh." Is the next podcast coming? Did I miss it? It's like, it's every 14 days. Yeah. It's every 14. Yeah. So the fact that folk want to hear the next one is really encouraging and, and gives us a lot of energy. And I know Mr. Mankold over there was complaining about being tired, but gives us a lot of energy when it comes time to actually record the podcast for people. I've got energy just, you know, you talking about it. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm coming right. and you are, dude. <laughs> You want to tell? I can get you to tell. Time is it? Um, so, <laughs> uh, so before we move on, before we talk about, <laughs> before, you know, yeah. I just what? want to say, yeah, I don't ahead. know how many times you've done it in the podcast that we've recorded, but when you and I are in meetings, once we leave the meeting, I'm forever making fun of you because you get asked a question and you just say, okay, well, okay. Okay. <laughs> Let me just back up a second. <laughs> Every, time. Every time. And here we are. Here we are introducing our podcast. And we yeah. just keep. Just, just one second. Just let me just say. So, yep. Okay, hurry up. What are you oh, going to say? Well, no, it's because you, uh, you, you were interrupting me. I wanted to say something. I learned from the best, my yeah. friend. <laughs> what I want to say is you, sir, have dropped the ball. Big time. Bigly. You dropped the ball bigly. I'm not, I'm not enjoying this introduction. Okay, what have I done this time? I don't know. How long have we talked without you telling oh, people oh my what it is, what we do that we do? <laughs> it's like your one job. Yeah, no, I'm so Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I really, that was completely out of my mind. Okay. So, Jason, what is it, what we do that we do? Let me tell you what it is that we do. We run an independent bottling company called Single Cast Nation. It's available online and in retail stores in key markets. We lead Whiskey Tours of Scotland called Whiskey Geek Tours. 
big one coming up in July. Mm-hmm. And we run a whiskey festival called Whiskey Jubilee, which is in New York, Chicago, and Seattle. Oh, and oh. there's one more thing we do. Drum roll, please. On a bi-weekly basis, yes. we record and publish the podcast, One Nation Under Whiskey. Yes. And I sincerely thank all of you for listening to it this day, this exact moment. Yeah. And, and just, just for those uh, that, that need a little bit of clarification, bi-weekly has nothing to do with our sexuality. That, that's just, you know, an every other week thing that we do. Always goes to the penis with you. That's what she said? Always to the penis. <laughs> Always to the penis. <sighs> Anywho. Anywho. Let's let's get to the let's get to the tape. The recording device. <laughs> the interviewee. Yeah, well let's let's quickly add something here. Well let me introduce yeah, this. Go ahead. So when you and I were in Seattle in early March mm-hmm. for the Whiskey Jubilee. I in remember that Emerald City. We had an opportunity to sit down with Matt Hoffman and Steve Hawley mm-hmm. from the Westland Distillery. One of our faves. And we've been very good friends with those two chaps and the distillery uh, writ large for a good number of years now. Um, yeah. Go as far back as. 2013, 2014? I have to say that it goes back as far as 2012 or 2013. <laughs> I'm glad we could clarify that for everybody. <laughs> oh, well, you know, so, so here's the death of me. Yeah, so yes. here, here's what happened, if you remember correctly. You and I uh, started a independent bottling company. Uh-huh. Right around the time that we were, well, because we had started a company, we were getting a little slower with our, uh, with our blogs. You know, mm-hmm. you, you very much, you very much Scotch so. drink and, and me with Jumalt. And we had gotten emails, you know, we, we, we had a lot of people approaching us saying, Hey, we have, you know, such and such a brand is about to launch such and such a product. Would you mm-hmm. like a sample and, and give it a go? And, I was getting to the point where I had to start saying no to samples because I knew, I knew my time. I knew I couldn't devote as much um, of my time as, as I did in the past because of the company. And I think you were about the same. hundred percent. Yeah. Right. And, and so I'd been saying no, 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 no to, to, to a lot. And then I got an email from Westland and you received the same email from Mr. Steve Hawley himself, Mr. Steve Hawley. Who and listeners would have heard in episode four and a half, the April Fool's episode. That's right. That's right. That's right. And offering up this American single malt. And I'd never heard of them. And I know no. you had never heard of them. Never. Right? Nope. Nope. In fact, the country had never heard nope. of them outside nope. of Seattle. There, there were the first some... release. Oh, there were people in Seattle who definitely hadn't heard of them because yeah. once we bottled a Westland, spoiler alert, and I was leading tastings in Seattle. I would pour it for people and they had no idea who the distillery was or where the distillery was. That's and amazing. it was in one instance, it was literally one mile from where I was pouring it. See that goes to show you how much work a distillery has, has oh, to, yeah. to do. Yep. Right. 
Uh, so, but that was very early days, very early doors for them, and things have changed. And <laughs> very much so. Yeah, things have changed um, a lot for them, in in all in a good way, I might add. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, for anyway, to get back to what we were saying about the samples, for whatever reason, I said yes, send me these samples, and and they came in this this wooden box mm-hmm. right, with this with this decorative hay. Mm-hmm. Beneath it, and there was three samples: the mm-hmm. Deacon seat, the just the the Westland single malt, and the first peated. So the the samples came to us beautifully packaged, like everything had a purpose. They were incredibly thoughtful about mm-hmm. this, and I said, "We got to give it a try." And um, and so I gave them all a go. And I was floored, absolutely floored. And you hadn't opened up yours yet. I remember this. And I remember calling you and saying, have you received your Westland samples yet? Yep, I've got it. Have you opened it yet? No, I haven't, I haven't gotten around to it. Do yourself a favor and open this because holy shit. And, um, you know, then that was us, you know, desperately calling them and seeing if they would sell casks and, well, I, I remember my first thought, my first comment to you was, this is already on par with the best of what the world has to offer. Yeah. Yep. And, and these people are, they're no longer getting measured against American whiskeys. They are, they're getting measured against world whiskeys. Yep. Excellent, excellent point. Yeah. yeah, which yeah. We'll, we'll talk, you and I will talk about that a little. We'll, we'll, we'll return to that later. But one of the things that I wanted to add is, since our very first meeting with Matt Hoffman, um, we we throw around the word whiskey geek, and throw around whiskey nerd, mm-hmm. and other people in our interviews have, have thrown around the same words. And we only throw it around because we all consider ourselves of that ilk. Yeah. And... And when you meet Matt Hoffman or you attend one of his tastings, he is whiskey (laughs) geek supreme. Yeah, supreme. He he could be our leader. Mm. He could be the leader of the whiskey geeks. Um, He he will talk about barley species for really as long as you let him. And I've (laughs) I've been happy to let him go for an hour. Yeah. and he would have gone longer than that. Uh, it's you know now now with their Gariana release, yeah, the, the Oregon Oak yep. release. Um, he's completely nerding out over oak, uh, as we'll hear in today's podcast. Mm-hmm. He'll nerd out over peat. Um, there's there's nothing in the whiskey production, maturation, mm-hmm. blending. Uh, as again, you know, the, the blending that we covered um, back in the Whiskey Jubilee episode, uh, was that episode yeah. four? Yeah. Um, yeah. When he talked about, um, well, maybe it was episode three, actually, for the Jubilee three. episode. But anyway, he was talking about the blending that he did for Whiskey Jubilee. Um, and we loved, loved, loved the work that he put together. So yeah. so one of the things for us to be in and in Seattle in March and have a chance to sit down with Matt and Steve. I really just wanted to, to get a chance to get as much of him recorded geeking out mm-hmm. and really give our listeners a chance to hear the types of conversations we have with Matt when it's just us. 
you know, yeah. Yeah. We're, we're in the Westland lab or we're up in the Westland office or we're, we're in a bar. Um, it's, he's just a fascinating guy to talk to. And I, I'm really hoping we can convey as much of that uh, in today's episode as possible. So if I'm understanding you correctly, what you want us to do is allow the listener to just sit back and listen. We'll do a little less interrupting mm. of the podcast and, and let people, you know, be flies on the wall to the conversation we had. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, okay. I think that's a tremendous way yeah. to gain access to, to what Matt's trying to achieve with Westland. When you think fun and nerdy, Matt comes to mind. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so the fact that we were going to be here for the Jubilee was like, you know, anytime we come here and we talk to you about barley and we talk to you about wood and we sometimes talk to you about yeast, these are all brilliant things that you go bananas over. And just to give you a chance to say all that stuff on the podcast for us to put that front and center and say anytime we see this dude these are the geeky conversations we have now you get to listen we were talking about aging uh before i press record and <clears throat> one of the things that got me to thinking about how you talk about age is it's beyond time in a cask it's it's actually the staves and you've spoken in the past pretty passionately about your wood there it is. <laughs> and that got us excited. And, uh, <laughs> I can but, tell where this is going. This is going to be, yeah, be fun. But, but you talked about um, staves in, in a different way than we've ever thought about. Well, yes and no. You know, Glenn Morangy talks about you know, their, their wood, and they, they air dry their staves for 24 months. But as far as American whiskey goes... No one does it. No one talks about it. So I would, I would love to hear, you know, if you could just discuss a little bit what the industry standard is for American whiskey and how you guys are doing it different. Yeah, I mean, the, the funny thing about starting a distillery is there's, no, there's not a lot of resources out there available for learning about all the things you need to, you know, to have in, in your knowledge set when you go to start a distillery. So even though, you know, I went through kind of the most technical education I could find in Scotland, never once do they talk about oak quality, which maybe goes to show, you know, how low of a priority that is mm -hmm. in, in the whiskey business in general. There are some exceptions, but in the whiskey business in general, that's kind of what it is. So a lot of the, the information that I got about oak, you know, I was desperate trying to find um, information about oak quality. And the only places I could find that was in wine textbooks. Mm. And I'd read through these wine textbooks and it talks all about oak and it talks all about the importance of air drying and slow growth trees. And they harped on that over and over and over again. And then I'd try to search back within the whiskey world and there was never anything about that. Um, so we, we kind of took a leap and said, let's, let's use all air dried staves. Um, so all of our staves for American oak for Quercus Alba are all air dried at 18 to 24 months at minimum. And that has made a huge difference. We had a few casks that we had that were kiln dried. Tasting them, it's, it's night and day. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, with kiln dried wood, if you can think about it, you've got freshly cut lumber, right? Everybody can imagine freshly cut lumber. Yeah. It's sappy, it's res, you can smell the kind of sappy yeah. resinous. If you kiln dry it, that, it's locked in. It's locked in internally. Whereas when you air dry it, you have 
sun, wind, rain, and especially fungus, actually, that are getting into the wood and breaking these down and leaching them out. So it's not just like there's tannins and all sorts of other stuff that are in there, but like the really kind of resinous notes, that's like the most important quality issue from my perspective is that you don't have this excessive back of the palate bitterness that comes with kiln dried wood. Um, you can chill filter some of that out, but we're also big believers in non-chill filtration. Yeah. Um, so that that's huge, and there's very few distilleries doing that. The bourbon industry just all of it's kiln dried, with the exception, I believe, of uh, of Michter's, who's doing air dried wood. Yeah. You know, credit to them. Um, but it's it's wild that nobody. Yeah. You know, if you ask a winemaker these air dried oak, kiln dried oak, they'd say, "What are you nuts? Like kiln dried oak is yeah. for furniture." You know, I was literally just talking to a to somebody who runs a mill yesterday and even he knew that kiln dried wood was for furniture you know <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 so funny how you know people just kind of just go for whatever is cheapest and fastest yeah. without any idea of the impact on flavor that's too bad why do you think it works well for bourbon and why, why would it work well for bourbon? Maybe those flavors fitting in with the with with the corn mash or or something like that, but not well for single malt. Is there? Can you talk about that in any way? Well, I think a lot of it is that it's chill filtered. You know, you can chill filter a lot of this bitterness and resinous out of the whiskey. Um, almost all bourbons are are chill filtered. You know, the ones that aren't, um, you know, they're. They're doing something to the effect of, well, I'll back up a little bit. So bourbon tends to be, it's a bigger spirit. It's its oilier, and that's due to, you know, we can get into how that comes about, but um, bourbon is a, an oilier substrate. It's an oilier thing that's gonna go into the cask. So it's, you can have bigger flavors from your cask that are balanced with the bigger flavors com coming from these corn oils. Mm. Whereas malts are not, as oily as distillate. Um, so when that goes into a cask, if you have something that is particularly powerful from the cask, whether it be a, in this case, we're talking about an actual palate sensation bitterness or a flavor in particular, like a, like a vanilla note or something like that, yeah. that can be balanced from the huge oily notes that come from bourbon. Oil is always a thing for us in, uh, in making any kind of cask selection is getting that oily texture on the palate. And you were one of the first people that I'd spoken with who actually went looking for texture on the nose as well. Yes. And that's brilliant. I tell everybody at Tastings about that. Um, do you want to spend a moment talking about your Oregon Oak project? Yes. Since that was an incredibly unique thing that you did. Sure. So we just got back, actually spent a couple of days in Oregon um, earlier this week. Um, and we're working on this big project with Oregon white oak uh, called Quercus garyana. So it's a distinct species from, from what we all know of as American oak, which is Quercus alba. So Quercus garyana grows in basically a 50 mile wide strip running from southern British Columbia down through Washington State and Puget Sound region where we are now uh, into the Willamette Valley of Oregon and into Northern California. So I don't know, 300 miles long by 50 miles wide and that's it. Whereas like American white oak grows all across the Eastern US. It's at 5% of its former habitat, so it's been clear-cut. Basically, all the places you want to live or that people wanted to settle as homesteads, nice kind of flat farmland valley sort of stuff, that's where these trees grew. And there's, a, there's an incredible story behind it, and we've, we've been trying to capture 
more and more of that to get people to understand when they taste the whiskey. We've released a couple of single casks with this wood. We released our Garyana release, of course, last year. Mm -hmm. um, but we want people to understand everything about this tree because it's never really been done before. You know, every, everything in Europe is figured out. You know, they know where the best forests in France are. They know how to manage them. All of that stuff is done. And out here, we're just beginning that process. We don't know where the best place to grow Gary Oak is, if there is such a concept as best, or is it just different terroirs or that sort yeah. of thing. Um, so, you know, a big thing that we were just talking about um, with our, uh, with the guys we're sourcing oak from is how these trees have basically been maintained through um, wild kind of brushland burnings. So natives who've been living here for thousands of years really wanted what they call these oak savannas out there, and they burn the land around it because oaks are uh, fire tolerant, whereas all the conifers, all the evergreen trees would be burnt down. Sure. The oaks would drop all these acorns, then they have all these deer and elk that come up, and it's basically like perfect hunting grounds. Yeah. So it's been that way for millennia here, and it's only in the past 150 years that people came in and kind of just destroyed it all. Well, um, right yeah, so, but we want to tell that story. It's important, I think, for people to understand the context. Um, you know, all the wood that we source for these projects comes down naturally, so it's all, you know, either wind blow or, or it's a tree that, you know, has reached the end of its lifespan and is threatening a home that's going to fall on it, you know. Um, so we're, we're really big about sustainably sourcing the oak and, and properly sourcing the oak. Um, but the big thing for us is it's our local species of oak. It only grows here in the Pacific Northwest. We're trying to make an authentic Northwest single malt whiskey. This is a key part of it. And most importantly of all, it's really good. Yeah. It's delicious. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's at the end of the day, it's good to be local and, and all of that, but I'm a big believer in not necessarily being local for the sake of being local. It's gotta be good. Mm -hmm. You know, we are, we're in a place where we are ideally suited to make a really compelling single malt whiskey. It's gonna taste different from Scottish single malt, but that's okay because it is our single malt whiskey in the Northwest. Yeah. You were talking a little bit earlier about terroir. Yes. Um, and I think in Scotland, We've kind of screwed the pooch there, where um, it's, it's become much more marketing than it has anything that I think people really believe in anymore. But um, Mark Rainier, who took over Brugladi before selling it to Remy, funny how that just came into my head, right? Um, he, big fan of terroir, and firmly believed that it was a thing. Now, obviously, he came from a wine background and saw that you know, playing out in Scotch. Anytime I talk to you, 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 you are an incredibly genuine human being as well as an incredibly genuine distiller. So when you talk about terroir, I listen very closely. Um, can you recap a little bit of some of our previous conversations on what you firmly believe in terroir and how that plays into Westland? Yeah, I mean, I'm a big believer in, you know, let's recognize where we are as a society, first of all, and where modern technology has brought us, which is you can make just about anything just about anywhere these yeah. days. And while that is a miracle of modern manufacturing and, and technology, that's great. Increasingly, what becomes more exciting are these things that have a true sense of place mm -hmm. that can't be replicated anywhere truly, you know, with 100% with precision. 
Um, and so a big part of that, of course, <laughs> a big part of that, of course, is the concept of terroir, um, is, you know, a, a taste of, a, of the place where it is. Um, it's not really been done before in whiskey. And we are big believers in that, the idea that that is a huge missed opportunity. Now, in Scotland, they like to talk about the whiskey regions, but most people who are into whiskey know that that's not a thing right. anymore. Because um, all of the malt is the same. Um, a lot of it's coming from France. Uh-oh. Yeah, right. Blow that secret out of the water. Where's the terroir but, there? Yeah, where's the terroir there? I was asked recently about whether I thought um, spirits bottled in like the 80s, 70s and 80s were more interesting whiskeys than the ones being bottled today. And I said, and so the question was was framed to me in, in a way that said, were people focused more on quality back then than they are today? And my answer is that even though I'm, I'm certainly not a specialist in bottlings from that time period, whiskey has been to this point a commodity business. You take something, you take grain, I mean, originally it's your leftover grain, but you know, increasingly into the, in the past couple of centuries, you've got grain and you can make it into a product as efficiently as possible, which is true. You know, it's it's not just whiskey, but this is how all food was grown. You know, especially in the, it's yeah. been yield, yield, yield. That's been increasing because it was important over the past couple of centuries. But basically, in times in the boom times for whiskey, like right now, you could sell it, and you'd be happy and on your merry way. In the rough times, like let's call it, you know, the 60s, 70s, early 80s, when people were really switching back to white spirits, okay, you just hang on to these commodity items and they gain complexity through just sitting there. Mm -hmm. So you, the focus on quality or complexity has always been in response to a commodity cycle or, or as a response to economics. Um, and that's kind of one of the things that I think we pride ourselves on at Westland is being different than that, but focusing not on barley as a commodity item, focusing on oak not as a commodity item. We don't want just cheapest, 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 and then maybe it gets complex as it gets older. Focus on making interesting things now, mm -hmm. and then you don't have to worry about that later. It's a, it's a switch from a commodity economy or a commodity mindset to you know um, an artisan mindset or something like mm -hmm. that, where you're actually making a thing and, and have that kind of pride in it. So for us, that starts with barley, of course. You know, we're getting barley, um, almost all of it's coming from Washington State, but we're really focused on not just from Washington State, but we want to figure out where it's coming from. Like the great story is the Skagit Valley. It's about an hour north of Seattle. These farmers up there have been growing barley for a century because it's good for their soil. A lot of these guys are uh, descended from Dutch immigrants who came over, found a great place that they could grow tulips. So they found this land, grow tulips in it. It's the biggest tulip growing region outside of, um, outside of the Netherlands. Yeah, right? And, uh, and they, it's a huge thing around here. There's a big tulip festival. It's going to be coming up here in the spring. Um, but it really depletes the soil. Uh, it's really tough on the soil. So what they've been doing for 100 years is planting barley after the tulips because barley puts carbon back into yeah. the soil. It breaks things apart, adds all sorts of organic matter back into the soil. Then they'll plant something nitrogen fixing, like a bean, a legume, something like that. Yeah. Uh, and then they'll plant their tulips again. So they're not putting anything really synthetic into the, into the system. They want to try to you know, practice these traditional crop rotations that of course have been going on for a long time in Europe, but in America, 
this is very much the exception mm -hmm. where it's all monocrop, monocrop, corn, 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 corn. Yeah. Um, so the idea here for us is that we can source this barley from them locally, yes. But if we were sourcing it from them and just planting the same varietal of barley that comes from Scotland, I, it's not nearly as interesting. Yeah. Uh, one, our climate is a little bit different. It is similar in a lot of ways, but yeah, it's different. There's different diseases. There's all sorts of different things. So we're working with organizations like the Bread Lab, uh, which is uh, part of Washington State University up there. We're working with um, a company called Skagit Valley Malting. Um, who is helping us do all these things that are not a commodity malting company. They focus on um, smaller batch varietals of barley. And basically, we're getting these farmers to plant these new varietals of barley designed specifically for the Pacific Northwest bread, the old-fashioned way, not GMO, but the old-fashioned way for the Pacific Northwest climate mm -hmm. and soil, and that can be grown there, and we will pay them a premium. Before, they could only sell that barley for, like, cattle feed, and they might break even... They might break even at best, but usually it was a losing endeavor. It was just, it was a way to help restore the soil that maybe they could break even on. Now that we say, okay, you plant this for us, malting grade barley, malting grade barley of the grain crops is one of the most valuable crops. So now these farmers in what used to be a rotation crop that they would probably lose money on, now they're gonna make money. So now farming can be a sustainable living for these people and it's good for the soil there. They don't have to put anything else in there. And ultimately, again, the most important thing is at the end of the day, we're going to end up with amazing, amazing barley. Brand new varietals that are focused on flavor first and not just yield. And from that, there, there are all sorts of possibilities. I mean, it's unlimited. And that's what's so exciting right here in the Pacific Northwest. It's bigger than Westland. It's all of these other people that we have here that believe in the same mindset of being post-commodity and, and working on flavor being the primary goal. Just um, in the same vein of, of, of terroir that we were discussing before, and this gets more to flavor, uh, you had talked about sourcing local peat. And right now you're using um, peated Scottish barley. Have you, have, have you started sourcing local peat? Yeah. And, okay, please talk about that because that intrigues the living hell out of me. Yeah, I mean, just, just the way that we believe very strongly in using local barley or that the Pacific Northwest grows barley really, really well, the same climate conditions that are good for barley, which is kind of a cool, wet spring, um, you know, drizzly all the time, that's what gives you peat bogs as well. Um, so we've got a lot of peat bogs. A lot of northern states have peat bogs, and Canada has quite a few, too. I mean, it's, there's more of it than people think. Um, but that was a big thing for us. We discovered that pretty early on, that there was a peat bog we had access to. The problem is, is that nobody knows how to make peated malt in America. So, you know, in 2011, we were trying, we had found the peat. We said, all right, this is great. We're going to make some peated malt out of Washington State peat and talk to our, our maltster here. And they were like, we don't do that. <laughs> uh, and then we talked, I mean, talked to other maltsters outside of Washington State, and none of them wanted to do it or could do it. So it was only when we started working with Skagit Valley Malting that we could um, essentially get these people to make peated malt for us, and they needed to learn about the process from the ground up. This is what's so interesting, is that in Scotland, they'll drain a bog, right? They'll, they'll cut a trench, get the water out for the most part and then cut these kind of bricks right yeah um 
but because we're and then they know how when these bricks come out they like put them out for four months and they can tell it's like every single Scottish person has this kind of genetic ability to just touch a brick of peat and know exactly when it's done you know when it's dry can um, you do that Jason <laughs> always early and often yeah <laughs> okay um, so we we have to approach all of these things from the baseline and this is something that most people don't really recognize so we're taking the peat out. One of the big things that we're, we're quite keen on is, is not draining the bog. We want to respect the environment that's there. Uh, we want to maintain it as a healthy um, place for wildlife and all that sort of thing. So we don't drain the bog, first of all. Um, we're going to pick up big chunks of peat, and then we will dry them to spec and actually put them into a standard size, in, in fact, in pellets, which is really interesting. Huh. So we'll make pellets so you have a, a standard density and wait, and you can feed it in in a very precise way into these, uh, into the uh, malt kilns. Um, but what comes out of that is a very controlled environment where we can highlight things like terroir really, really well. So in Washington State, we have um, a couple of um, different plants that grow that you don't typically see. So we've got one kind of right in front of us here. Uh, it's called Labrador Tea. So you can see it kind of looks like uh, rosemary. It's like a giant rosemary bush, essentially. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to ask. So people who are listening to this, um, uh, Stephen, who is also here uh, sitting with us, brought up a laptop, and he's going through all these pictures, and, and at first I'm wondering, why is he showing me his, his rosemary herb garden? Um, it just but, seemed like an <laughs> like, I'm really excited about gardening. And, uh, <laughs> so, okay, so... So talk to us about that. So you've got different vegetation, obviously that in, in comparison to what we know uh, is going into Scottish peat. So that's going to affect the flavor of the peat and what's happening there? Well, absolutely. I mean, we've got, in a lot of bogs, for those who have been out to, um, to Isla, right? Isla, when you, you land, at the airport and you're driving on that little two-lane road that's mm -hmm. out of there and you look to your left and right and there is it looks almost like it's desolate yeah you know barren. it's it's yeah. really barren and that's because all almost all of the peat like on isla is really mossy you have no other additional vegetation very few grasses very few shrubs no trees and that peat will turn into you know mossy peat tends to give you more medicinal notes lots of iodine things like that what we have in our bog is basically the opposite. There's a ton of interesting vegetation there. We've got this kind of rosemary-looking plant, which actually, when you break it apart, smells a little bit like rosemary. Um, rosemary, lavender, and orange peel all rolled into one. It's called Labrador tea. Um, the name comes from Labrador, of course, yeah. uh, Labrador in, in Canada. And it stretches, its range is all across northern North America. So it's the tea part of the name comes from the fact that natives would use it as part of uh, tea remedies because it is a hyper aromatic, it's an oily leaf. So you take this and you kind of mix it in with your uh, herbal teas and all of these cool herbal and uh, kind of almost fruity notes that are in it are extracted into your tea. So if you can imagine a bog filled with this, where these are all, these are all coming off in fall, like they're not gonna stick around all year long, they, they all fall. And that forms a huge part of the peat. Yes, there's moss growing as there is in all bogs, 
but if the peat is formed by, God, I don't know, 50% of these oily leaves, what is that going to do yeah. for the peat? And this, I mean, I honestly don't know the answer to it. We've burned the peat. We know that it smells different. We know that it comes across, um, I think, more herbaceous or even floral um, than some of the peat that we've used before from Scotland. But this is, this is what we're going to discover, right? This is, we can isolate this peat and get it to burn specifically to highlight those characteristics. And then we can go to the other half of the bog where there is a, a stand of cedar trees or something over there. Um, or the place where you've got crab apple or, or cranberries, wild cranberry. Mm -hmm. you know. And if you think about all of the different, even within this one bog, which is probably about 30 acres, all the different uh, terroirs within the bog, you know, there, there are so many possibilities. So this is what, um, this, this is our huge focus. And this is something that isn't being done in Scotland and it's, it's too bad. I hope somebody does it in Scotland. Yeah, I'm sure somebody somewhere is working on it and mapping these different things because we know, I've seen, you know, there's data out there, it's publicly available. There's websites yeah. that talk about the differences in peat compositions depending upon where it's grown, whether it's kind of mainland Scotland or Orkney versus Isla and the impact that, that has on flavor. And yet that is never translated into like a, a whiskey form into a whiskey series. And I think that that's too bad because I'm sure I would nerd out about that. You yeah. would nerd out yeah. about that. And that's what we're trying to do here is go, this is Washington State Peat. Let's explore the terroirs of Washington State Peat and let's actually do it in product. And we're, we're doing it. Yet not draining the bog is a completely different stance to our current administration. <laughs> so, hey, uh, hey um, sorry about that. <laughs> it was there. Let's just quickly mention to, to everybody, uh, Matt had talked about Garyana Oak, and we blink our eyes, and all of a sudden, a, uh, a glass of whiskey appears in front of us. Um, Most distillers are made of magic. So it's <laughs> and, and inside the glass is Garyana, and it is absolutely delicious and completely different than anything else. And this is you sort of putting your first foot forward, not maybe not first foot forward, but a different foot forward and saying, this is Washington terroir. Yeah. This, is, this is us. This is beyond a commodity, like you had said. You, this is truly an artisan product that shows some heritage. Yeah, we, we're showcasing Washington flavors in our in all of our whiskeys because all of our whiskeys are made with the majority of Washington grown barley. But a lot of this, these are the same kind of higher yielding varietals that have existed for a long time and they're put into the same, you know, into American oak casks or peated and cherry wood casks that have been out there for a little while. Um, we do, you know, especially with the American oak, we've got those roasted malts in there and that's a big part of us exploring malt flavor. But the Garyana release in the series is the first time where it's the difference in Washington State terroir and the resources that we have available um, can be so easily highlighted mm -hmm. and to be able to demonstrate that to people with product and it's it's the beginning of something really really fun I mean we have a blast making this product and talking to people about it because when people understand that there is this brand new species of oak out there, you know, everybody knows French oak or European oak and American oak, and even people, most people are familiar with Mizunara oak at this point from Japan. Yeah. But this is, the fact that you have something brand new that is available to the world of whiskey in the business that's been around for a long time, that's a, 
that's pretty cool, you know? And the fact that we don't know anything about it, the ability to explore that, uh, that's, that's really exciting. I mean, that's what Westland is all about is, you know, we kind of see the fact that there's, in, there's an incredible space to discover something new and to, to, you know, explore the whiskey business here because it's meant to. And with products like this, we were able to take people along for the ride. When you're you're talking here about um, exploring barley and, and that's something that's important to you, um, we had the the distinct honour of bottling. Uh, was it our fifth bottle that we did? Uh, two for the Jubilee and three for a single cast nation online. Uh, our fifth was this wonderful uh, two-year-old Westland that was your standard five malt mash bill uh, matured in New Chard Oak. And one of the things that I've been talking about in my tastings when I'm presenting that is your five malt mash bill really explores the Lovibond scale from lighter malts up to darker malts, including the chocolate malts. Then I'm also talking to people about how you're cold crashing uh, your wash before going into your wash still. There are some distinct uh, brewing techniques in play here, and I always talk to home brewers at my tastings who absolutely understand the Lovibond scale and absolutely understand that the lighter ones bring something to you, the darker ones bring something else to you. Um, how did you come about with your particular five malt mash bill? What was important to you in that, knowing that the chocolate malts, again we're back to that word, they won't yield quite as much but you'll get better flavour, perhaps better product out of it. And then where did the cold crashing come from as well? Well, in a lot of ways, if I was getting into this business to be a businessman, I would have been pretty terrible at it. I, I mean, flavor is why I'm interested in this. Um, you know, it's when when I started distilling, which was admittedly at a pretty young age, I I couldn't understand why there was this disconnect between the brewing industry and the whiskey industry. Why is it that whiskey only uses this one type of malt like we're not even going to talk about barley varietals right now they're not doing any of that either so just set that aside for a moment um, but why are we doing why are they only doing a, a pale malt or something like that whereas brewers are taking advantage of the literally hundreds of different types of malt and you know for those who aren't initiated you know these malts are not made by adding flavors or anything to it it's just about how you dry it and in the drying process if you elevate that or add humidity or stretch out the process you're developing more flavors within the grain it's called the Maillard reaction it's how toast is made it's how you bake things but it's used by brewers all the time and yet there's never been that leap into distilling and so what's interesting to me in retrospect now is that I had no problem with going I don't see what the big deal is. Let's do it. <laughs> and and uh, I, I think the fact that we can do that is really indicative of our culture here. You know, in Scotland, there, there would be all sorts of red yeah. flags going up doing something like that. Of course, yeah. And, you know, for, for us, this is our primary grain bill. This is, this is our kind of flag in the ground that says, hey, we're not afraid of... You know, just because it hasn't been done this way before doesn't mean it can't be done or shouldn't be done that way. Yeah. Um, we're not held back by the centuries of, of tradition and culture there and all of that, which is beautiful and I respect a lot, um, but it is a double-edged sword. You know, you, 
if you have all this tradition and history, it's really hard to kind of let it go and try yeah. some try something new. Yeah. Um, so with this cask in particular, you know, this is to me this is our most important whiskey. You know, it's um, our most important style of whiskey, and that's in that it represents who we are as people. It represents, you know, we're using the local malt, we're using uh, a brewer's yeast as well. The brewer's malts, the brewer's yeast, we're allowing for this brewing culture to influence us. Um, and that's indicative and representative of our philosophy in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. We are an innovative people. We we are progressive people. We, we take new ideas and run with them. We're not afraid of any of that. And in a way, that's that's how we make the most authentic product that we can. It's not just the fact that all the stuff is coming from as local as we can get it. It's also that it represents who we are as a culture. And that's really, really important. So Joshua, I hope our listeners enjoyed that chance to listen to Matt, maybe not engage in the conversation with Matt, but certainly get a sense of the type of conversations that we have with him and really get a sense of what led us to jumping into bed with them at the earliest opportunity. Um, And we've, we've bottled some really killer casks from them. And I don't know what you had in your glass to enjoy while you were listening to that, but along the lines of, of us choosing casks from Westland, I was drinking something that was chosen by Westland to be a single cask oh, uh, yeah. for a, a fill your own, or as they call it, a hand-filled bottling. Yes. Um, I know that we're going to have a lot of Westland hardcore fans listening to this podcast, so I will tell you this is cask number 900, oh. and it's bottle number 50 of cask 900, bottled at a whopping... 64.8% alcohol. Is that equivalent to 1.21 gigawatts? Everything is. Everything is equivalent to that. You are wow. spot on, my friend. Spot on. So, yeah, just big, creamy, sweet, syrupy. Mm. And, and with all the barley coming through and the chocolate malt that they use in their mash bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, real comes through in the back of the palate. So yeah, kudos to whoever selected that yeah. for, the, for the warehouse bottling. Yeah, that chocolate malt combined with the, you know, that Belgian brewer's yeast that they, that they mm-hmm. use, it, mm-hmm. it to me, it just drinks like uh, a chocolate and nut-covered banana. Yeah. It's yeah, just I, gorgeous, yeah. Yeah, when I, when I pour our, our current Westland two-year-old, it's oh, the, the Westland single malt, but in a new charred barrel. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always say to people, this is a beer drinker's whiskey. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that five malt mash bill, but with the chocolate malt, but with that brewer's yeah. yeast, the Belgian brewer's yeast going yeah. on some of those banana notes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if, yeah, if you like dark beers, uh, if you like beer, this is the cask for you. So yeah, it goes off a great at tasting. Yep. And so in it, and actually that's a good point. It goes over incredibly well at tastings. I had one guy say he didn't like it and I called him a madman right to his face because hmm. he was a madman. Interesting. I appreciate his honesty, but he's obviously <laughs> incorrect. <laughs> he's obviously incorrect. Um, <laughs> What's in your glass? I have the, um, I've got the first release of Gariana. Oh, very nice. This, very nice. this whiskey is insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Massive spice, right? Right. And, you know, 
like what Matt was talking about in, in the recording. And, and actually you may see, um, if you go to westlandgariana.com, there's, there's a great video that talks about their seeking out this Gariana Oak and, and why they do it. I mean, first off, it doesn't get any more terroir than, than that. I mean, obviously they're using Washington pale malt quite a bit, but you have this species of oak that is indigenous to where they live. And that specific species of oak is offering up flavors that have never been offered up in any whiskey before. Yeah. You know, the Japanese have their Mizunara, yep, right? exactly. and, you know, offering up crazy, wonderful flavors. And, and Garyan is doing the same. And what they're able to do with it and and getting back to Matt's blending, right? That he that he talked about way back in episode three, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Three, yep. yep. We believe uh, it's three. We believe it's three. It was either three or four. Um, anyway, uh, you know, not only does Matt have crazy skills when it comes to distilling, brewing, distilling, um, seeking out these crazy casks, but this Gariana is is a is a marriage of different kinds of oak, different kinds of malt, different kinds of, uh, you know, peated malt, unpeated malt, chocolate malt, you know, you name it. He's a master blender. What he does, I, I just, he fascinates me. (laughs) And me too, which is why I was so excited to, to be interviewing him. I have to confirm just while you were chatting away there, I quickly looked it up and uh, yes, it's episode three where Matt talks about the blending that he did for the Whiskey Jubilee. Okay. Just to confirm for any listeners who want to go back and, and visit, listen cool. to a bit more of the, the good man. So in honor of Matt, in honor of Steve and, uh, and all of Westland. All the team. Yeah. Good people up there. Cheers to you guys. It's, Cheers uh, indeed. Thank you. Thank you for the interview. Thank you for your friendship and partnership over the years. Oh, clink. Look at I that. Be smashing a bottle against the wall in celebration. <laughs> oh, <laughs> My floor uh, is now very wet. Very wet. <laughs> and I've got shards of glass in the palm of my hand. <laughs> it's better than hair on the palm of your hand. <laughs> it's always back to the penis with you. Always, always back to the penis. Just move along. Move along, <laughs> sir. You know what time it is right now? Slay you because <laughs> I ask you every time. I say, What time is it? <laughs> Clearly, time for a sound bite of a 1950s shoeshine boy. Extra, extra, we all are bad. Life story of Playboy Penny. Extra, 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 we all about it. I would say that he is prohibition era, <laughs> extra, extra, extra boy. You came with the doctor's note and everything. See, this is the hard-hitting journalism people expect from this podcast. <laughs> What's great about our news segment is that we there's no journalism happening whatsoever. <laughs> are, are we fake news, Joshua? I would call us alternative facts. <laughs> <laughs> So we, so we do have a little bit in the news to discuss. Um, do you want to go first or should I go first? You go first because then I'll know what we're talking about. <laughs> um, well, right now on the, on the date of this podcast going live, 
we are exactly one week and one day away from the <laughs> New York. I've never heard anybody any. You, you amaze me every week. I've never heard anybody say we're exactly one week and one day away. It's like you have to be exactly a month, exactly a week, exactly twenty-four hours. You can't be exactly a week in a day. Yes, you can. <laughs> you totally can. Okay. Sometimes it's exactly seven forty-seven p.m. Right now, it's exactly 10.06 p.m. And then you're like, why not just say we're exactly eight days away? Like, that makes no sense either. <laughs> oh, Lordy. Okay. Carry on. Carry on. Carry on. We're exactly a week and a day All right. away. Uh, <laughs> so, we are eight days away. <laughs> eight, is that eight sleeps or seven sleeps? For the, for the Christmas lovers among us. You, it's always back to Christmas and your hatred <laughs> of that holiday with you. I go to the penis, you go to uh, to dear old Santa. Dear old Santa. Uh, there's, nothing, there's nothing like listen to it. A Jewish fella, week in and week out, episode in, episode out, championing Christmas. It's like... <laughs> Can I get to telling people about the news, please? <laughs> just, just cut all of this. Okay. Just clearly, no, no, no. There's, some, there's some great, there's some great, great, great really tidbits. great. Yeah. Um. So in just eight days, Whiskey Jubilee, New York City, Year Six, will be upon us. And if you're lucky, there may be some tickets left for sale. Um, we're getting extremely low. Uh, we did announce uh, a master class uh, just a couple of days ago, and that was, uh, I think, the first of its kind, a master class which features all of the uh, Fijila or Festival of Isla uh, bottlings. So these are distillery-only bottlings that you can only get at the distillery during the festival, and you'd have to go there for all eight days to collect the bottles as they are released. Here you get to come to our event, taste eight bottles within an hour and a half, and in the comfort of our very own Studio 450. So yeah, I'm so excited for that masterclass. This is a, a real treat, and and I don't say that as somebody who's trying to sell tickets. I say that as somebody who cannot wait to taste every release from Fischiel. Like We're going to be tasting things that, as we're recording this podcast, have not yet been released. Yes. Yes, that is a very true statement. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't know about you, but I've never tasted, on any given year, I've never tasted all eight. No, never. Bottling. Nope, 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 nope. But in 2017, all that will change. Hey, so uh, the masterclass itself is $100. And that, that is on the same day of the Jubilee and it runs from 3.30 to 5. Uh, the regular Jubilee tickets are $140, uh, but you can also get com a combo ticket, which will get you entrance to both the Masterclass and the Jubilee Festival, and that's $240. Um, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not certain if tickets will be on sale by the time this podcast go live. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, but we shall see. So, Jason, is there anything else that we have to tell our listeners? Very much so, Joshua. Ooh. On the 
theme of Whiskey Jubilees, our November 9 Chicago Whiskey Jubilee, our third time in that city. Yeah. Those tickets will go on sale once we've tucked up Whiskey Jubilee New York City and put it to bed. Yeah, look at that. So that that puts us middle to end of June for Whiskey Jubilee Chicago tickets going on sale. And like some of the other things we're discussing earlier in this podcast, it's nice that people are reaching out and saying, have the tickets gone on sale yet? Have I missed them? <laughs> nope. It's just Jason and Josh running three Jubilees a year. Yeah. Um, all, everything in good time. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah. And yeah, middle to late June, we'll, we'll get the Chicago tickets live. And a little bit of a hint, though we won't reveal it now. We've already nailed down our Chicago festival bottling. So I want to scream it from the rooftops. Oh, I know. I know. I know. We can't. can't do so it just ready to tell people. I know. Don't don't do it, Jason. So ready. Jason. To be honest, we, to be honest, we haven't even re- revealed the whiskey jubilee New York City bottling yet. Well, to be honest, we did. All right. Enough of the news. I'm tired of the news. I want to discuss uh, this week's misconceptions. You just said that in the plural. I did. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know that you would. I didn't know that you would listen. Listen, because you don't. I haven't said your name in a while. (laughs) You killing the squirrel over there? What's happening? (laughs) So now that you've given me crap about me, you know, not saying proper words, let me say it properly. Jason, I would like to go over this week's misconception. I'm... I'm excited to see how you skirt around this week's misconception without offending any of our very good friends. <laughs> well, you know, it, it it gets back to that scene in Talladega Nights. Oh, I said it with all due respect. That, no, look, that doesn't mean you get to say whatever you want to say to me. It sure, sure as heck does. No, no, it doesn't it's mean that. It's in the that. Geneva Convention. This, look it up. Not- oh, it's coming. It's coming. You're going to say <laughs> oh. one of your famous podcast lines, aren't you? No, so here's what I'm going to say. Um, Without shitting on anybody. I'm not shitting on anybody. I, mm-hmm. what, I, what I'm doing is I'm propping up. I prop up people is what I do. Okay, I'm excited. I've filled my glass. I've got yeah. some more Westland hand-filled. I'm ready right. to see how you handle this. Right. Bon chance, brother. Yes, good chance to you as well. So this is what I would say. When I go online uh, onto the Google machine and I look up Westland and I look at people's review uh, reviews of Westland, the various whiskeys, you know, you name it, posts on Facebook about Westland. Quite often, people refer to Westland as a craft distiller. But by virtue of it being an American distillery that's not in Kentucky? It, exactly. Yeah, I, I think so. It, it's not, not, it's it, not, a, not a big bourbon producer. Yeah, not not just that it's not in Kentucky, but A, it's not a big bourbon producer. B, it's not in Kentucky. C, they don't have the history that some of these, you know, great bourbon producers have. Mm-hmm. Like so many of the other dis- distilleries around the country. Okay. The reason why I say Westland is not a craft distiller. In fact, first, before I tell you, why they are not a craft distiller. Just I, let me back up for a second. Back up. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what they are. Oh, gosh. Or what I think they are. They, you know, I like how you say that. Yeah, You're yeah. going to tell us what you think. I like that. Yeah. That's, that's, yes, go ahead. 
And I hope that Matt or Steve send me a text, a very angry text afterwards. Maybe not. Um, but I believe Westland to be a world whiskey producer. Here's why. As far as I'm aware, Westland is the only American distillery that is producing single malt com- as, as their sole product. Okay. 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 Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. You've got me so far. Right. Every other craft producer is producing, they're producing gins and they're producing bourbons and rye okay. and also single malts and some sure. specialty things. And so, so already Westland is doing things that say Amrut or Paul John or Chichibu um, are doing. Okay. Those are all single malt producers. Mm-hmm. None of them are called craft producers. They're single malt producers. Okay. Add to this their output. Their capacity is, I think it's 260,000 liter capacity. Okay. But they're not producing to that no, much right no, now. No, they're not. As, as far as I'm aware, they're not. At least, at least as far as the, yeah. the malt whiskey yearbook. Yeah. Um, 2017. Yeah, 2017. It says they're not producing to full capacity, but yeah. they have the capacity to produce 260. That capacity is a little more than Kilhoman's capacity. And Kilhoman is a single malt producer in Scotland. No buggers calling them a craft producer. No one's calling them a world whiskey either. But what, what I would say is single malt produced at a distillery outside of Scotland. And, that, and when that distillery produces only single malt, they're a world whiskey producer. Okay. So given their size, given the fact that their production maybe doesn't mirror, but falls in line with so many of the other world whiskey producers like Lark, like Amrut, like Chichibu, uh, you know, you name it, the list can go on. They are more like a world whiskey producer than they are a craft producer. They get that moniker craft simply because they're in America, but they're doing something that no other American distillery is doing. So why do they have to get that name? I'm not saying craft is a I'm not saying it's a bad word. I'm saying it's a word that doesn't fit what they're doing. So I wouldn't call it craft. I would call it world whiskey. They're outside of Scotland producing single malt to a pretty damn large scale. And you even said it before. You even said it when we were talking about the samples that we received. What was it that you said? Can you remind me? That they were already operating on a world stage. The comparisons were not to fellow Americans their comparisons were to Japanese and Indian. And exactly, exactly. Things like that. Yep. But, but I also think the single malt backbone allows for that type of comparison as well. It does, yeah. You know, and, I, and I think the, the quality of their spirit speaks to the quality of Japanese spirit. There's something very clean yet textured about their spirit mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. That, that I greatly, greatly enjoy. Yeah. And so that, that was certainly a draw for me in the very beginning and, and continues to be a draw to this day. Yeah, exactly. So how did I do, Jason? I do okay? I think you towed very carefully. Very what did you carefully. think was going to happen? I'm not going to say. Because <laughs> <laughs> given that you avoided it, there's probably no need for me to stomp on into it. Right. But, but I think you were very careful. And very respectful. And Thank I you. think you said the right things. 
Thank you. I'm just going to put that on a loop. <laughs> Do we want to cover any emails before we get out of here? Or? Oh, you know what? Yeah, yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to bring up an email that we received um, from a gentleman by the name of Sean Muller. Um, and I know you really like reading the, the emails because, you know, I, well, maybe it's the readers. I think they just enjoy hearing their emails in a Scottish accent. But uh, I'm going to do it in my Connecticutian mm. accent. Carry on. <laughs> so, uh, so this is from Sean Muller. Thank you again for, for emailing us. He says, hi. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let me try that again without <laughs> going through puberty. <laughs> when it's time to change, you got to rearrange. I'll get that in there. Um, <laughs> so he says, Hi. Love your podcast and looking forward to getting my hands on some SCN bottlings. Mm-hmm. I'm, in in uh, a parenthetical comment here, he says, I missed ordering the Glen Elgin 18 by a few hours. That's right. We're, we're finally sold out of our Glen Elgin 18. We, is, we sold it for three years and he missed it by a few hours. Look at that. And you even mentioned it on a previous podcast. I did because it, yeah. was, it was, yep, it was coming close to the end and now it's <laughs> the end. This is the end. The power of a podcast. Yeah. I've got the power. I, there's so many songs that I'm going to bring into this. Jason, you're going to love it. Love it. Okay. So here, here are his questions. A couple of cues, he says. If you were to recommend just one SCN bottling out of the current online offerings to a newbie, which one would it be? Question number two, short of driving eight hours to Chicago, is there anywhere to find SCN retail bottles in Kansas City? The, the, answering the second one first, mm-hmm. road trip. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Sorry, we've got lots of people in lots of states saying, yeah. is it in my state? And we say, no, no, it's not. Yeah, I would. I would. Well, here's what I would do. I would get your motor running. Oh. Right? Head out on the highway. This is sound advice. Yep, yep. Look for adventure. Uh-huh. Or or whatever comes your way, Sean. That's, that's super flexible as well. I really yeah. like that. Yeah. That, that gives them multiple options. <laughs> I like that. We, we are working on, on opening up new markets, but one of the things that, that Jason and I discovered pretty quickly and it was a very interesting and good problem to have was that we did not bottle nearly enough whiskey um we talked about it and talked about it on the podcast it's coming it's coming oh here it is and boom it's it's sold out in so many places it is everybody wanted everything yeah every Uh market wanted all the cases yes so yep so now, I don't know if anybody in Chicago ships. If they do, you can check into that. There may be some shops in New York that are able to ship. Now, to answer the first yes. part of it. That's a tough one. Well. No? I, given that, that our friend Sean here missed out on the Glenelgum by hours. Oh, that's a good point. Okay, I see where you're going. The Aaron that I would recommend to a lot of newbies, 13 years old and second fill a little so, Hogshead. I would I would get my hands on the Aaron. We're now down to literally two six packs. 
two and a half six packs yeah. in the warehouse in San Francisco, I would not dilly dally because because for me the selection would be between the Aaron thirteen or the Glen Murray twelve, the new Glen Murray twelve. I see what you're saying there with the Aaron thirteen year old. Given that we're down to basically fifteen bottles, um, you may want to jump at that because it's going to be gone before too long. Not that it's anything like the Glen Elgin, but if you don't want to miss out on something, that's definitely not. It's definitely one to not miss out on. It's a gorgeous whiskey. Um, however, my second runner-up. Yours was the yours was the Glen Murray. Mm-hmm. The twelve and uh, bourbon and then Madeira. Yeah, maybe maybe it's because we're talking about Westland and drinking Westland, and I love Westland. Oh. I, I would suggest our Westland two-year-old. Oh, that's a nice suggestion. Right? I mean, yeah. it's, yes, it's two-year-old whiskey. Mm. However, it's great whiskey. There's a reason that we selected it. It's, you know, from nose to palate to finish, it's doing so much. And like you said, it it's a beer lover's whiskey. If you like good oh, beer, oh. then, then you're going to love this whiskey. Well, and I think those who really give it a fair chance, see that two years in new charred oak mm-hmm. is a long time. You've got your color, you've got your vanillins, you've got your tannins. It's, it's moving fast. And with that mash bill, I think it's in really great harmony. And Matt Hoffman yeah. doesn't put out bad whiskey. And, and for those that are single malt drinkers that maybe steer clear of bourbons, one thing that I want to point out about this Westland and, and other Westlands when they're using new charred oak, it's not the new charred oak that you think of when it comes to bourbons. Bourbon has that very heavy sweetness. Sometimes there can be a slight drying or astringent quality to it, which works with bourbon because you, you know, you've got the corn spirit and it just works. Um, but with the single malt, you know, malt, is is a more delicate grain than than corn is. Yeah. And what Wesselin is doing with their staves, they're not killing drying their staves. They are air drying them for between two and seven years, depending on the type of wood being used. So it's not going to offer up those sort of heavy, heavy sweet qualities. Uh, and there's absolutely no astringency to the whiskey at all. So it's not really a bourbon-like approach to single malt that yes they're using new charred oak but it's not what you think it is yeah no i I think that's a fair point i'm glad you glad you suggested it well thank you and hopefully sean will get a chance to give it a try Mm. so thanks for writing in if anybody else wants to reach out to us they can do so a number of ways a myriad of ways or a plethora oh yes (laughs) you have a plethora Jefe, what is a plethora? Why, Wapo? Well, you told me I have a plethora. And I just would like to know if you know what a plethora is. I would not like to think that a person would tell someone he has a plethora and find out that that person has no idea what it means to have a plethora. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So you can reach out to us. Questions at One Nation Under Whiskey. Dot com and that's whiskey without an e. You can reach us on the Twitter machine at One Nation Whiskey, at the Instagram machine at One Nation under whiskey. 
or through Facebook, facebook.com slash One Nation Under Whiskey. Lovely. Oh, that. that was beautifully covered, and I purposely didn't interrupt you. Look at that. This is the first time. It's <laughs> the first for everything, Jason. It is. I know. And in my head, I was going over what the, um, the identifiers for each application were, mm. and I got them all right. So kudos to me. <laughs> Good on you. Good for you. Good I, I, for finally, you. I finally know what our social media addresses are. <laughs> Please don't ask me again in five minutes because I will have forgotten. <laughs> I, I did actually start on uh, Twitter. Uh, my personal handle, at Johnston Yellen, now follows One Nation Under Whiskey. Or hey. at One Nation Whiskey, as I learned. You know, I thought we got a new follower. Our, our, <laughs> it, was, it was me. <laughs> our followers list seemed, seemed bigger this day. Well, I'll tell you, the news of the week is you can just go ahead and buy a million followers for $400. Get out of here. Yeah. Apparently, they just said today, Katy Perry's something like 97 million followers. 60% of them are fake. They said the same about someone else's Twitter account. I don't know who that someone is. Was it Bette Midler? Uh, Regis Philbin? <laughs> it was his soft, his, his Twitter account. He has a Twitter account for his soft feet. Bob Hope. Yes. No. <laughs> it's someone who gives you no hope. No, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> but I did. <laughs> we never named the name. We just, you know, no, left it where we were. We just talked. Just saying things. Okay. So, so should we wrap it up? I guess we should wrap it up. Unless there's, is there anything else that you wish to add? You want to back it up a little bit? Maybe add a little, little something? Take it from the bottom, bring it to the top. No. You know, flesh it out. Oh, it's always the penis with you. Always I back didn't to the mention, penis. I mentioned flesh. Fleshlight. Come on. It's obvious. <laughs> Fleshlight. It's obvious. I know where you were going with that. It's always oh, back to the penis I, with I, you. I have a friend whose wife got him a fleshlight. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. I have a friend whose ex wife got him a fleshlight. Thank you. <laughs> saves us all completing the story in our own heads. <laughs> So that's it, Jason. Thank you for another wonderful conversation. Thank you, man. Uh, thanks to Matt. Thanks to Steve, even though we didn't hear from him this episode. Uh, he was there in spirit. Thanks to Sean. I know. I'm just moving beyond it. Yeah. Thanks to Sean for writing yes. in. Yeah, that's very nice of him. And, of course, yes. thanks to everybody for listening. Yeah. Without you, we're nothing. That is true. Without you, we're just two guys in the house which like i mentioned in a previous episode still kind of fun it's still kind of fun, <laughs> still kind of fun. <laughs> jason i give you five stars <laughs> there's a great movie i watched this as a much younger man whoopi goldberg alone in her apartment right for the entire movie and okay. in one in one portion of it she starts behaving in her kitchen as if she's recording a cooking show oh yeah and i can't for the life of me remember the name of the movie are you sure it was a movie and it wasn't her her stand-up act oh no 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 this is a movie okay so she never believed they would move they would make a movie about this she included some of this in her stand-up act oh okay that makes sense you see a lot of them do that Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah um but I just, I just sometimes I feel because obviously we don't get to experience the listeners listening to us. No. I just feel like you and I are 
pretending like we have a podcast and just sitting here with our headphones on and our microphones rambling to each other while drinking. Yeah. And it never goes any farther than that. (laughs) (laughs) That works. So thank you, Joshua. No. Thank you. No. Thanks to the listeners. Oh, look at that. Cheerio. Cheers. (laughs) Thank you.